hey, Jim, look around the room right now. Everyone is here because of you. The moment I heard those words, it changed everything for me. And yet it changed nothing because I truly am what I always felt I was. I'm the connector. That clarity is what brings me to you and what drives this show, the Remote Start Podcast. Here, I connect my lifelong passion for bringing people together with my love of business and branding in hopes that these talks might better connect your community with what your company is all about. So let's figure out your brand. Let's figure out the target audience you want to serve and how we can use these two things to create an incredibly strong community for your business. I'm your host, Jim Doyon. Let's get something started. Remote Start Nation, as mentioned in episode 32, I'm on a mission to bring the power of connecting with your community to the forefront of the Remote Start podcast. And on this episode, our main talking point will be crowdfunding and how it relates to building your community. So if you're a product creator or an inventor and looking to launch your product, you're definitely going to want to listen into this episode. I'm Jim Doyon, your host. And on this episode, I have a special guest that I wanted to bring on. His name is Mark Pakoda. He is the CEO of LaunchBoom, who spent years supporting creators as they launched their inventions through crowdfunding. Mark is going to share a startup story, discuss how he pivoted from 65 employees down to 18, transition, transitioned his business model into something more scalable and in line with his vision. And of course, we're going to get into the weeds of crowdfunding and building a community. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Mark to the Remote Start Nation. Mark, welcome. How are you, my man? Doing doing great. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, always stoked to go on and, and talk crowdfunding, talk product launches, and help in any way I can. So thanks for having me. You've built an incredible business. I, I loved researching about it. So I'm definitely excited to have you on. I think you can offer so much for the Remote Start Nation. So yeah, thank you again. You know, to get this started, tell us something we wouldn't know about you if we first met you. I live down in Columbia. A lot of people don't know that. Right. Like Columbia, like the school or something? <laughs> like, no, 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 no. Columbia, the country. So yeah, living the remote, the remote life. We've been remote since 2017. And so, uh, you know, we've, people have always been scattered all around the world, but 11 months ago, I made the, the choice to come down here and it's been, it's been one of the coolest decisions of my life. That is awesome. I can't relate to that. And uh, as far as going out of the country to travel, but just getting away and traveling and getting to see new experiences is one of the, the coolest things I've done in my life. How for you to say that it's been, you know, exceptional for the last 11 months, that's, that's pretty awesome. What, what like made you want to do that in the first place? Uh, I would say I'd had an itch to go outside the country for a long time and do it on my own. I viewed it as a challenge. Um, I, I'm from California, I'm from San Jose, California, up in the Bay Area. Then after that, I lived in San Diego for 14 years. And I feel really grateful to live in California and all my best friends. You know, I've grew up with my best friends since first grade, all the way to right before I, I came to Medellin in Colombia. But um, I always felt like I wanted to to challenge myself to to almost basically start from zero in like a new spot. And then also I've I was telling you this before the podcast, but I've I've uh, taken an embarrassing amount of Spanish to not be fluent. I'm like, all right, it's it's time. Let's let's get down into a place, immerse myself uh, in in you know a Spanish speaking culture, and um and yeah, that was that was those were like part of like probably the two biggest reasons of coming down. That's really cool. What what about learning Spanish and and becoming fluent in Spanish was was so important to you? 
Um, I, I view, so it's such a massive amount of the world speaks Spanish. And I, I love, I love connecting with people, love connecting with new cultures. And it's, it's, it's so interesting because like day by day, as I'm learning more Spanish, it's like this quite literally feels like this, like new world is opening up. Um, and so, yeah, that was the biggest, that, that is, that was, and still is the biggest motivation for learning Spanish. And, um, and it's, you know, I would say secondary reasons, it's just like fun, you know, to learn something new. And it's been probably the most humbling experience where I'm like, this is actually really hard to do. And it takes a long time to do. Um, so, but I'm, I'm, I'm definitely making progress. And so it's, it's worth it and fulfilling as I continue to be able to communicate with people more, which is again, the whole point of it uh, in the first place. That's super cool. Do you see yourself there for a long time? I think so. And now that I, you know, I, I met a girl like uh, month one of being down here and she's awesome. And uh, she started coming back and met the folks. So, you know, that definitely makes it a little bit stickier as well. But uh, yeah, so I, I probably will be here for a while. I don't have an end date, you know, in the, in the calendar yet. That's super cool. Thanks for sharing that with us. So yeah. before we get to the discussion of community and crowdfunding, which I'm like super stoked on, let's talk about your business journey. Tell the remote start nation, like, you know, did it start with launch boom? What'd you do before? I'd love to hear how launch boom started. So let's, let's start there. Yeah, for sure. So I, you know, like I said, I, I, you know, first grew up in San Jose and then went down to San Diego state for college. I, uh, didn't really have a ton of direction. I was, I was studying business, but I actually was making electronic music <laughs> and, uh, promoting parties and stuff. And I thought I was going to be doing that. Um, I thought I was going to be doing electronic music. I played guitar my whole life. Music was always a big part of my life, but okay. my, um, my senior year, I remember I had this experience where I was out watching a DJ. I don't even remember who it was, but I was probably, you know, probably had a few drinks as well, but I had this moment of like clarity and like sober thought of being like, I actually cannot see myself doing that, you know, for the long term. I'm like, what am I doing? And uh, the very next day, and this is my senior year, it's my last year. I'm like, but the very next day, I'm like, I need to get involved in something that's more interesting. I had always, my um, my grandpa started a company called Valley Services Electronics. Then my dad took it over. And actually, my dad recently retired. And now my aunt uh, runs it. So like entrepreneurship has always been a big part of my family. And um, so I got involved with uh, something called Entrepreneur Society, just the whole entrepreneur scene at San Diego State. Then from there, I got this internship at this digital marketing agency called Eboost Consulting in San Diego. Um, and during that internship, I actually met my business partners who I'm still in business with today. And so out of, out of that internship, we said, you know, young and dumb, uh, you know, blissfully unaware of the challenges in front of us. We're like, hey, let's start our own agency. And um, so we did. We got our first signed contract from a law firm when we were still in college for $5,000. And uh, I still have the proposal somewhere that we got like, you know, Kinko'd, like it was just, it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> but um, anyways, yeah, we, we, we started our company called Label Creative. So there was really nothing um, special about us. We we're just a whole bunch of, you know, young kids hustling and we we're mainly doing video production and web design because those were like the skills that we had. Yeah. And uh, over time, we, uh, you know, we're doing all types of rent. We're basically saying yes to everything, which is not the answer. At the beginning, it's fine. You know? Yeah. Um, the good part about it was that we actually, we did a few crowdfunding campaigns. So the first one that we did, 
was in 2013 and it was called EcoCube and did in the 70,000s, I forget the exact number, like 78,000 or something. And on that one, we just helped with the creative, but we were actually just kind of like along for the ride. Then a client saw that and said, hey, or another client would say, hey, can you help me launch this other product? And we said, sure. Like, you know, again, we don't have a ton of experience, but we'll try to replicate what happened. And that one did 102,000. It was called uh, One Hour Break. And then the first client came back to us with a second product, like a, about like a year and a half later called the EcoCube C. It was like a more compact version of the original product. This is like a desktop aquaponics aquarium. It, it's a pretty, it's a pretty interesting product, but um, yeah, basically the fish, the fish waste, the fish poop, like fertilize the plant that's on top and then acts filter. Cool. Um, anyways, that, that third launched at 375,000. And around that same time, I read this book called Built to Sell. And um, it, it basically, it's written as a fiction story, but it's, it's tells, it teaches business principles, basically tells the story of this agency owner that goes to sell his business after like 10, 15 years of building it up and realizes business isn't worth anything because it's not unique. They don't have, it's not systematizable. Um, it doesn't have repeatable business. And so I felt like, okay, I'm reading my future here. And so then I, I went into reflection mode and very long story short, saw that the crowdfunding projects that we worked on fit this mold of what they were or fit like basically the thesis of that book was to yeah. turn your service company into a product and so that's what we did we rebranded our company from label creative we're still technically a label creative llc by the way uh but we we got a dba for launch boom at uh the end of 2015 and yeah ever since then we've transitioned to niching down and focusing on helping product creators launch their products using crowdfunding that's incredible and it started your clarity through that came from reading that book, Built to Sell. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I mean, I recommend that book to people that have service-based businesses, you know, yeah. because it's, it's really what it's uh, speaking to. Yeah, it's a good book. I've read it. It's on my bookshelf somewhere back there, but uh, yeah, it's yeah. definitely a good book. So how many partners do you have in LaunchBoom? You mentioned you had partners. They were people you, you met at your internship. Right. So I, right now we, I have three. Um, three other partners that are doing this with me. Yeah. We, uh, we had some other ones at the beginning. Why I say right now is that we've had, um, some leave at the very beginning. We had a, we had a ton, honestly, <laughs> crazy. And then we like some people left and then, um, yeah. So now we're, now we're down to three <laughs> uh, building it. Yeah. That's, uh, and it, is it, do all three of you have very like specific niches of what you work on and, and do in the business? Yeah. Yeah. There, I mean, there's, you know, always a little bit of overlap, but I would say like the superpowers, it's like, okay, so you have Will Ford, he's our president, superpowers, like business development and sales. Like I've never met anyone better at it than him. Um, Mike Reavy is our CTO. So he's all tech, mostly on the, on the dev side. Yeah. And then Victor Shoes, creative director. He's just like a, yeah, creative marketing wizard. And then uh, I'm the CEO. So I don't know what my special power is. I guess it would be, I mean, honestly, I would say I'm probably the best when it comes to, well, leadership of like seeing a big vision and, and, and driving the ship, but then I'm pretty operationally focused. So kind of making the whole thing run um, smooth. And is this well, something I like that you think I'm, I'm okay at it? Yeah, no, it's obviously you're doing something right. So when you, when you started, was it a, a clear distinction of, of, you know, jobs and responsibilities, or was it kind of like, you know, hey, let's just grow this? 
Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty clear, pretty clear distinction. I mean, that's the, like I said, we had a whole bunch of people that were like yeah. technically having equity at the beginning because we just kind of brought in a whole bunch of people that were like friends that had different skill sets, you know. And uh, I always give people advice now. It's a really stupid way to start a business, but um, yeah, I mean, the people that are left, it's. Well, sorry, I guess your your question was about at the beginning. So at the beginning, yeah, there was still a separation to a certain extent, but I would say there was probably more overlap uh, at the beginning. That's also part of the reason as we grew and it started to get, become more serious. And it's like, hey, this isn't just like a college project, right? It's a serious right. thing that, yeah, we need to be more clear about what are the main skill sets, what are the roles and responsibilities that we're all bringing to the table and yeah, is is the equity fair? And that conversation is, you know, talking about equity is like, you know, it's, you're basically putting a, a number to someone's worth, kind of, you know, which can be a very um, uh, potentially ego crushing conversation. You know what I mean? Right. So, yeah. Uh, anyways, that 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 went a little bit off from your original question, but it just brought that to mind. That no, I appreciate you sharing that with us. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about how. Launchboom has has been formed and how it started. Tell us more, like very specifically, what does Launchboom do? Yeah, so it's from a high level, and I, we can, the reason why I hesitated there is because it's changed, you know, over time, right? But from a high level, what we do has always been the same, which is we are helping product creators, founders, entrepreneurs to bring their bring their ideas to life to launch their products using crowdfunding as the method. And when I say crowdfunding, I'm specifically talking about Kickstarter and Indiegogo, which is a form of crowdfunding called reward-based crowdfunding. So, not to be confused with equity-based crowdfunding. We're not we're not selling equity. These are not people investing in these product launches. We're quite literally pre-selling product to get them off the ground. Um and so that's mainly what we're doing. And we view that as the first step to then building a successful e-commerce business. Um, but our kind of bread and butter is, you know, it's in our name, is to help product creators launch. Awesome. And you, you're constantly changing and, and evolving the business. I know before we had kind of talked about, you know, you originally had, you had this agency of 65 and you fine-tuned it, you pivoted, and and now you're running around 18. Tell right. me about that and kind of like, you know, walk us through how that happened and and where you're at now and how you've transitioned into kind of a new model that you believe can scale. Right. So we, you know, we started the business as an agency. Um, we were, a, I would say, a turnkey agency. So every aspect that you needed to get your product uh, off the ground and launch on crowdfunding, we would do. So the main things were like advertising and I'll just say advertising and the creative are kind of the main things there. Yeah. So, um, creative being mostly product photography and, and video videography. So we used to have a whole uh, studio in downtown San Diego where I used to live. Um, I think we had like six or seven creatives on the team, but like you would, like you had said, we had, we got up to 65 people uh, on our team. And actually, we experienced the most growth during 2020 once COVID kicked in. Um, the beginning of 2020, we had 25 people. By the end, we had 65. Um, and so we we definitely rode the wave of, I would say, multiple multiple forces that compounded on each other, which was, you know, e-commerce was exploding. Everyone was inside. There was like, uh, 
much cheaper advertising costs at the same time. And then you had the government printing massive amounts of money. So you have all that happening. And of course, you're going to have an explosion, a little bit of a bubble happening. And so speaking of bubble, it was our growth was a little bit of a bubble um, to where in 2021, it started to come down back down to earth a little bit, realized that we had we had actually grown. Uh, we're a little bit bloated uh, when it came yeah. to how many people we actually hired onto the team. And in earlier, I guess last year, man, we're in 2023, uh, like mid mid last year. So in 2022, um, I made a very difficult decision to pivot the business and and take us down to 18. And the the main parts of this is like one, we had been facing actually, even though we grew a lot, we had been facing a lot of different challenges in terms of like. The company was, it was still very difficult to scale. And there's a lot of reasons for that that I can get into, but I'll just leave it kind of high level there. And we were kind of constantly facing this like ebb and flow of cash up and down. And um, and uh, we also, at this time, we had started this other division of our company uh, that was like a consulting division that was originally supposed to be kind of like a downsell from the agency services. Um, but it was like growing pretty nice and steadily like the entire time since we had started it back in early 2020, like kind of the same time when our agency exploded. Yeah. And so I'm like looking at this agency part of our business that's like fairly tumultuous and kind of going up and down, still pretty big though. And then this other part of our business, this consulting part that's been growing steadily and has like really happy team working on a happy clients. And then I started to view like, what do I really want? I went through this like deep period of reflection of like, all right, I'm, I'm proud of everything we've done on our agency side and, and our, our accomplishments. I think we actually have built something that provides a lot of value, but can we actually approach the problem we're trying to solve in a different way? Um, and so what I came up with was that, you know, we actually don't need to be an agency anymore. Like the whole turnkey agency that we're building actually isn't serving the vast majority of the market. Um, that needs these services because it's, you know, extremely expensive um, to, to, you know, to provide that level of service. And we felt that, you know, we're not just trying to make something that's like super cheap and affordable, but right. actually trying to make a, a service that, that I would say is more in line with consulting um, that's going to be just still very effective, but I would say just more efficient with the money that they're actually giving to us. Um, and so now what we're building right now is, is a, it's a combination of consulting and software. So we've, or we're quite literally codifying like aspects of our system that are like key parts of the system on how you do like funnel building or list building or analytics. Um, we're like how you actually do like create the content. So we're looking into different aspects of using AI and, um, just making it so that it's much easier and more efficient for um, product creators, entrepreneurs, and founders to to launch their products. Um, and that's why we don't need as big of a team um, to do that. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's from a high level. I mean, there's a little bit of details in there, but that's, a, that's part of why we made the transition. I, I love that. And, and thank you for sharing that with us. It's I'm excited to see how things go as you continue to transition from that service base to, you know, that that software service, um, platform. I, I did a little bit, we, my business partner and I launched, a um, a crowdfunding project, uh, a couple of years back. It was called in between T's. And our goal was to 
you know, raised 30,000 and, and we didn't hit it. We, we hired an agency and I think we came up, we, we decided if we don't hit 30,000, we're not going to do this project. But I think we had like 13,000 or something like that. But, you know, that was one big thing that I thought we, it, it would have been really nice to have some software, something that could like really help us that we could go to. We knew a lot of things of how to get in front of a community and how to build a brand. What we didn't know was the crowdfunding, you know, how it really works. And works. so I think you doing that and putting that in, in something that can scale, I think will help a lot more people than like you said, the agency route. Right. Yeah. 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 Exactly. That's exactly how we see it because it's like, no matter what, you know, doing a crowdfunding campaign or a product launch, let's just say is never going to be easy necessarily, but you can make the process a lot more simple. Um, and that's really what we're trying to do where it's like, here is the system and process that you should follow. And uh, certain aspects will always be, you know, difficult. There'll be a certain level of difficulty, but having the simplicity in the plan, I think is extremely valuable. Um, and that's what we're trying to do. That's so true. Well, Mark, I, I appreciate you sharing about, you know, the business. Let's get into crowdfunding and, and really explaining to the Remote Start Nation you know, for those who aren't aware of what crowdfunding is, like, I'd mm -hmm. love for you to tell us more about that. And, and let's start to get into how that really ties into community. So um, let's start. Is, is crowdfunding, is it, is it relatively new? Uh, yeah, I'd say it's relatively new. I mean, I guess the concept of crowdfunding, I'm not even sure when that really started, <laughs> to be honest with you. But crowdfunding, as we know it today, like the modern crowdfunding, and I'll specifically talk about like Kickstarter and Indiegogo started in 20, uh, 2007, uh, was like when Indiegogo began. So Kickstarter came very soon after that. And Kickstarter is a much more well-known brand name. So they've almost become like synonymous with crowdfunding. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, re it's relatively new, um, new, new thing. And the whole idea of crowdfunding really when it comes down to it is like, it's a, the way that we use it is it's really just a way for you to pre-sell your product um, before you actually go manufacture it. So to say that again, because I think it's the most powerful part about it is like in the traditional model, like before this existed, if you wanted to launch your product, what would you do? You'd have to design, you'd have to design it, you'd have to go manufacture it, get all this inventory, spend all the money on that, then go do all the marketing on it to start to sell that. So that's a huge amount of investment. What if you just take away all that investment into the manufacturing runs and everything you have to do there, and instead you focus on just getting one prototype? So I'm not sure if people are listening to the if you're watching this. I'm not sure if the video shows from your podcast, yeah. but holding a water bottle. Let's say this is a new product I had. I could just create one prototype, and I could create all the marketing around it, and then I could launch it on a platform. People will pre-order my product, so I get all the money then I go and manufacture it. So it's it's really a way to, I, it's risk mitigation. But you're yeah. decreasing risk and then you're able to not only typically have a more effective launch because there's something like inherently exciting about a campaign and it usually performs better than a traditional launch on an e-commerce website. Um, but uh, yeah, you're, you're also able to um, validate that you actually have demand for this product before you go and manufacture it. So that's a little bit about where, you know, where crowdfunding started, but also why we use it and why we think it's so powerful. So with that said, crowdfunding, you know, generating community around your brand is something that really gets brands to that next level. 
and crowdfunding does that in such an like an awesome way. Right. Talk a little bit about, you know, building a community through crowdfunding. Yeah. I mean, I, I always say that crowdfunding and community are almost synonymous. It's like, um, it's in the name, right? Crowder. <laughs> it's like, it's a group of people, right? That are supporting you. And so first off, I'll say that when it comes to the way to win, like, or have a successful crowdfund is it's all about the pre-launch. So it's everything that you're doing prior to launching. Um, and really the the community building uh, begins during the pre-launch. So, you know, you're not waiting to get to, you know, you're not waiting until you push the launch button to start to market and build your community. How we build community at the beginning is by through list building strategies, so like email list building strategies, lead generation. And that's really like, I would say the biggest thing that we've become known for at LaunchBoom and, and the most uh, effective part of our strategy is that what we teach and what we help our clients do is drive traffic through paid media and meta, so Facebook, Instagram, no matter what people say, it still has been the most effective channel for lead generation for us. Yeah. So we, we show them how to drive traffic to a funnel that we call the reservation funnel, where we collect people's email addresses. People will get their email to be notified when it launches. But why we call it a reservation funnel is that on the second step, we say, hey, you can now put down a $1 deposit to reserve the best discount when we launch. And so just that additional commitment um, of money, we found that people that do that are on average 30 times more likely to buy than someone that just gives their email address. Wow. So now you're able to start to build an email list that's much more qualified. You have another data point to optimize your ads for. So I'm getting a little bit in the weeds here, but the idea of this is that you want to build up an email list or your community before you actually launch your product and you're nurturing them through email marketing. We like to add them into a Facebook group as well. And um, so this community aspect is that, you know, you use this community that you build in the pre-launch to then have a successful launch. Um, so I would say community building is key. It starts at the beginning, it starts in the pre-launch and then you leverage that to have a successful launch. That's great. And that, that kind of brings me into, you know, the next topic, like you, you know, you hit on that pre-launch part. You recently published a book called crowdfunded and in it, you have five sections on how to, how to really do a successful launch. You know, one of them is, is talking about the launch boom system. Then you talk about the pre-launch and we just kind of went over that. And then you talk about the launch and then the post-launch and then ultimately continuing on with business and, you know, uh, what that looks like. What would you say, like with the launch boom system, you, you had mentioned some things that I love, like, okay, let's, let's think about a funnel and, and bringing that in, thinking about offering some type of discount that people have that incentive to purchase. And like you said, it's 30 times greater. Uh, success rate when, when you offer that. What are some other things in that in your system that you've you've found that when someone works with LaunchBoom, like they already are set up for success? Yeah. So I'm actually going to even go back even one step before the reservation funnel or like building the list because well, one of the things that a lot of people don't like to spend time on, but is is really the most important part, arguably, is is the positioning of the product. Mm -hmm. So, you know, really when it comes down to positioning, it's in some people's eyes might be, you know, glazing over here, but it's so important. It's like 
is how you're communicating the value of your product to the right audience. And, um, you know, we follow a very specific framework of doing this, but really what I want to communicate to everyone is that you you have to, you, you have to view product positioning as like the foundation to everything else. So like if you have to go through an exercise and really take it seriously to try to figure out how are you going to actually stand out in the market? Um, and the other thing to realize is that even if you are the product position that you do the first time, you know, it's not a static thing. So it's like you're, I, I view it as you come up with this product positioning, you do the work, but treat it as, you know, a hypothesis. And then as you go into the stage of building up your list, you're testing that hypothesis. And then you're, you're seeing, you know, what type of positioning, which audiences that I'm, I'm targeting through ads are actually engaging with this content or turning into leads or turning into reservations. And you can have that tweak your, your messaging and positioning to ultimately then influence all the assets that you create for the campaign. So the two biggest ones being on a crowdfunding campaign, your campaign page and your campaign video. So it's like everything's connected, but it starts with coming up with an initial product positioning hypothesis testing it with ads through list building and then refining it and then having that be applied to your your uh, marketing assets that you're ultimately going to use to sell your product down the road. That's a great point. And I think with any type of marketing, marketing your launch, like if people, and I've talked about this so frequently on this, on, on the remote start podcast, but before you go spend money, before you go tell people about your product, like you have to understand the value you're adding, who your customer is. And I feel like with this type, with crowdfunding and this type of launch system that you've created and like testing against, like you might be wrong with who you first feel like your product is going to serve. Like it might take multiple iterations of of finding out who your customer is until you finally get it correct. Is that is that what I'm kind of sensing here? Yeah, you're 100% right. I mean, you can, that's the part of the beauty of, of, of spending money on marketing before you launch is that you're really just testing different uh, messaging, like ways to position your product yeah. and audiences. So it really always comes down to like the messaging. So like the actual, like literal copy or imagery that you're using in your advertising and then who you are targeting with that. And so you can you can challenge a lot of your assumptions very easily um, through advertising that have data to back it up. That's that's a huge point. So this is all kind of like pre-launch. Now we've got our list built. We're ready to launch. Walk us through that. Yeah. So the reason why I say that it's, um, or one of the other reasons why I say it's so important to focus on the pre-launch is that you, you want to use your audience to get funded very quickly. So let's talk about the concept of funding really quickly. So it's on these campaigns when you launch them, you you have to put a goal. I mean, like how you alluded to with your campaign, your goal was 30,000, I think. Um, and so you, you put a public goal. So let's just say it's 30,000. Um, the idea is that you want to use your pre-launch email list that you built to get yourself funded within the first, let's say within the first 48 hours. Um, it's, we've just found that it's, it's so key to get funded quickly because it sets your campaign up for so much success. Um, I'll tell you why. So there's, there's, I'd say two primary reasons. One is part of the reason why we like to launch on these platforms is that they have, 
they have a community on the crowdfunding platform that are just looking for cool stuff to buy. So, but just like, you know, Amazon, which is orders of magnitudes larger, larger, but just like Amazon, you know, there's a ranking system on these, on these platforms. So in order to get higher up on the ranking system, let's say on Kickstarter, you know, you have to actually be a popular project. So if you get funded very quickly, you are going to jump up on the top of the rankings, which is then going to bring you organic traffic from the platforms, which are then going to buy your product. Now, it, it very much depends on what type of product you have. Like some categories are more popular on, you know, uh, on Kickstarter than other ones. Um, but usually you can see, you know, 20% at least of the funding, the final funding amount will come from the crowdfunding platform itself. If you are able to get funded quickly and you rise up in the popularity ranks. So that's one big reason. Second one is just pure credibility and trust building with future visitors. So if your if your campaign is funded and you know it shows again because everything's public on crowdfunding. Yeah. So again, the, the goal is thirty thousand. Let's say you raise thirty thousand on day one and it shows a hundred percent funded. Now someone that comes to your uh, crowdfunding campaign, um, you know, from then on, they see that number. They're like, wow, this is something that's really popular. It has all the social proof associated with it, and you find that there's going to be a much higher conversion rate. So basically sets you up for future success um, down the road by doing that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So in order to, you launch that, let's say it's success, you, you, you met, you make it actually, let's go first with, so what if you don't hit, what, what can you recommend to the remote start nation? Like you set it up, you launch and it doesn't work. What do you do then? Like it doesn't get funded at all. Yeah. It doesn't get funded at all. I mean, it's not, well, We've had now actually many campaigns that tried to do it themselves first or maybe work with someone else and they they failed for you know a multitude of reasons. And then they came and, and worked with us. And I would say the number one reason why people typically do not uh, find success is that, I mean, this is a very broad, but it's they, yeah. they messed up the pre-launch. And usually if you break that down further, it's like either the product positioning sucked or they didn't uh, build a big enough email list. Yeah. And so they just didn't take the time to do that or or the money. And, and I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I, I talked about risk mitigation at the beginning and the traditional product launch being expensive. I mean, there still is an investment of capital going into, right. these, into these launches. Um, there were days in Kickstarter's history where you could put a campaign up and it would like get funded from the community. It's like 50% of the funding comes from the community. But we're just way past those days, and it's uh, it's much more of like a you know a professional. You need professional services, or yeah. you know you need to know have the expertise in order to do the marketing. So, very I'll, I'll I'll condense my answer to if you do fail, it's not the end of the world. Typically, it's going to be something that was a mistake made during the pre-launch that usually has to do with your positioning, or you didn't build a big enough email list. So it's reflecting on what the the problems were. And then choosing whether or not uh, you think it would be a good a good idea to relaunch, um, and you can definitely relaunch. That's other thing. Some people get discouraged, but again, we've had a lot of people that have had success after a failed campaign. Once they work with you and start to go through your system, and right, is there or, a certain or, time frame or a certain um, like list quantity you would recommend prior to launch, or is it kind of all determined on the the product itself? I'll tell you like a super like easy way to think about it is 
you know, you can just, you can make a really simple predictive model. Um, so by working backwards, so it's like, you know, um, terrible at mental math, but let's just say like <laughs> you do, you're looking for that $10,000 or $30,000 number that you want to hit on day one. If you want to calculate how much you need to actually sell from a, from an email list, you know, you just start to think about what are the different variables that factor into this. So it's like, of course you have, you know, the amount of emails that you're collecting. If you're doing our reservation funnel system, which I recommend, you're going to segment that email list that you build into two groups. You're going to have a group that only gave you their email. Then you're going to have a group that also put down the $1 deposit. Yeah. We found that people that put down a $1 deposit on average, let's say it depends on the price point mainly, but let's say it's about 30% of those people that put down the $1 deposit will actually purchase um, your product when you launch. And then 1% of the people that only gave you your email address will convert. So now you're like, okay, so you have a group here. You have a group here. This one's going to convert at 30%. This one's going to convert at 1%. What's the price point of your product? Just multiply those numbers together. Then you get what your expected revenue would be. And that gives you an idea of how much you would, how much you could raise. And so you, you just add like a margin of error on there of like, yeah. you know, you can just do basic modeling, right? Like this isn't even, this is, you know, a statistician or a data scientist will cringe at, you know, that the oversimplification, but it's, it's good enough, you know what I mean? Right. To give you an idea of, um, you know, what, what you need to do to hit certain amounts from lead generation. That's, I, and that's really important. And Remote Star Nation, I hope you, if you didn't hear that, rewind it, go back and listen to that. If you're in the pre-launch phase, before you get to launch, like, think about it. Like, do I have enough? Does this make sense? What else do I need to do to get it to that level to make sure the launch is successful? So let's talk about post-launch. Like, we launched, it was successful, we're crushing it. Now what? Um, so there are a few things. So just like a simple, a simple thing that I think everyone should do is that, so one of the platforms, Indiegogo, has a program called Indiegogo In Demand. And basically what you can do is, even if you launched on Kickstarter, you can transition your campaign over to Indiegogo In Demand and it keeps how much you raised on Kickstarter. And it shows that as, on Indiegogo. Oh, cool. And now there's no timeline. It just basically acts as a pre-order store. And the reason why you do that is like some people don't hit the, you know, meet the deadline to back your project before it ends. So you can get some more people in. And then you can also, if you want to continue to try advertising, you can keep sending traffic to Indiegogo in demand um, while you're manufacturing your product. So, okay. So in demand is one, look at that. Another one is uh, our pledge managers. So, um, you know, you've pre-sold your product. Now you need to actually deliver it to people. So yeah. there are these things called pledge managers, which allow you to basically act as like a, almost like a, a fulfillment management system. I don't know if that's a thing, but I just made that return up. But it, it basically will take your whole backer list and allow you to get all their shipping information, all this stuff, all this information that you need in order to send your product. But more importantly, maybe not more importantly, but a, a, a very awesome feature of these pledge managers is that you can upsell them more stuff. Oh. So it, it brings them through this flow where it's like, okay, here's maybe even selling more of the same thing. And I guarantee, I know that's a big thing. It's like, well, someone reach out to me, I'll give you like five bucks. If you don't make any money from an upsell uh, through this method, because it always works. Um, what we've seen. In our, and so anyways, I would say, look at Indiegogo Indieman, look at a pledge manager like Backerkit or Pledgebox. And then 
The next thing is like, you need to just focus on manufacturing. It might sound really obvious, but it's the, you don't want to undo all the hard work by delivering a really bad experience to your backers that just trusted you with their money before you even made anything. So it's like, can't overlook the fact that you need to just deliver the product that you said you were going to deliver and ideally on time. Now, a lot of people, a lot of campaigns have delays. So it's really about being transparent. But if you can deliver what you said you would on time, you're going to have such happy backers that you can then leverage that to have success on e-commerce. It basically just gives you now a stronger foundation for e-commerce success. So yeah, those are, I think I listed four four things. That's all great advice. I, as far as, you know, it's it's good. We've, we've got manufacturing, we've delivered an experience, like people are stoked. Now is it just as, as I wouldn't say it's simple because there's a lot of work involved, but now it seems like, okay, we now let's, move to a platform like a Shopify or whatever the product can be sold on, where now we're actually running our business. We're running our, our, we're doing the experience every time we're working on fulfillment. We're working on, you know, continuing to get new clients. Uh, is that, would you offer anything, any advice on top of that? I mean, you're exactly right. It's like everyone, all of our clients are trying to get to the e-commerce, which is like Shopify is the main platform that we would use. And then, you know, they'll go onto Amazon and depending on the level of sophistication, retail and or distri- you know, distributors. And there's all these, there's so many options, but just to kind of boil it down to the most simple thing that I think everyone should do at the very least is, is to build a Shopify store. Um, you've just learned so much from the crowdfund by going direct to consumer. And if you did it right, you know, and you you uh, learned a lot through the process, you should have a pretty good idea of what marketing and positioning and audiences work. Um, I will say though that like crowdfunding backers are not the mass market, so there's always going to be like a little bit more tweaking and learning to your messaging. Um, like some some messaging, like just like for example, getting something first is like a value add to Kickstarter backers or a lot of people there. Mm-hmm. But that's not necessary. That's not the messaging that you're going to be talking about once you transition to e-commerce. Right. Um, but I would say just one one last thing is um, this might seem really obvious, but like reviews and social proof are super important when you get to when you get to e-commerce. And uh, so if you delivered a great experience, you can just leverage you know the past backers to get your initial reviews, and definitely do that because it's going to make it a big difference once you actually start advertising and trying to sell on your e-commerce site. That's great advice. And uh, most of our nation, if we've gone over some some stuff in the weeds, but a lot of high level. If you're looking for more information on how to do this, go get Mark's book, Crowdfunded. Um, check it out, read it. And in addition, Mark, where can they find you to get, you know, set up for a consultation or, you know, see if it's a right fit with your software? Um, where Where's the best place for them to find you? Yeah. Uh- Thanks for talking about crowdfunded first. I'll just say that we actually, I dropped the price in 99 cents for the Kindle version because it's just, I'm not make 35 cents on every sale. Like we're not trying to make money on that. Honestly, want you to read it. Most people are going to read it and do it themselves, but Hey, you know, some people are also going to work with us as transparently. So it's like, I want to get it in as many hands as possible. Um, and then if you want to keep up with me or reach out, go to launchboom.com or I'm super active on LinkedIn as well. So just look up. You know my name, Mark Pacutta, on there, and uh, give me a follow or connect, and 
You can also reach out to me by email. I had no problem with that. So just mark at launchboom.com, mark with a K. I appreciate that. Well, Mark, unfortunately, our time's coming to an end, but I want to ask you one last question. What's the one biggest takeaway that you can leave through Mozart Nation that we hit on today? I would say the biggest thing, I mean, is don't, I didn't talk about this, but like, it can be scary to take the first step if you have a product idea, but it's just never going to get less scary. Like it never seems like the right time to do anything. Um, and if you want more information, my team, like I think the best way is to educate yourself to like start to remove some of that fear. But even that you're always going to have to just take a step. So if you're on the edge of it, it's like the typically the downside risk is actually not that large to even see if your product idea is feasible. So my last thought is if you have this product idea, let's go for it. I love it. Go start it. Start today. I love to say that at every episode. Like, and that's that holds so many people back. They 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 get in their own minds and they they worry about all the things that you know might be a factor or might not, but it stops them from starting. So, as Mark said, go start it. Jump into it. So, with that said, Remote Start Nation, remember leave a comment, subscribe. And most importantly, share this episode with your community who you think could learn from what you heard today. Mark, thank you so much. It's been an honor. I'm looking forward to keeping in connection with you. Yeah, likewise. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Absolutely. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Sounds good. Well, we've come to the end of another episode. I want to thank you for allowing me to share my passion of bringing people together through business and branding in hopes to connect you with your community. I'd also like to thank our sponsor, Woodward Movement, the leader in brand identity, branded merchandise, and brand delivery. Check out our remotestartpodcast.com for more episodes and our social channels to join the conversation, access show notes, and discover our fantastic free resources to help you build a strong community for your business. I'm Jim Doyon. Thank you for connecting.